chapter 7, verses 10 to 16. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David, it is, is it not enough to try the patience of human beings? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will eat curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. But before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. Uh, This is the word of the Lord. The reading is from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 24. It's page 995 in our Pew Bibles. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after she had considered this, An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded and took Mary home as his wife. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's just pray together. Father, we pray this morning that as we come to your word, you would... Grant us the gift of understanding and insight. Father, we pray that we may hear your word speaking to our hearts. And we pray that not only would our hearts be open to hear what you say, but we would be willing to take action on what you call us to do. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I was recently watching a family video. It was taken about 20 years ago. I took it. It was that sort of period where camcorders had just come out and were popular and everybody had one and was silly sticking them in everybody else's faces. So I stuck it on a tripod and on Christmas Eve I recorded what was going on. And what this family video shows is that we were sharing that particular Christmas Eve with another family. They were very good friends. In fact, he was the pastor of our church at the time. They were Americans, and their children were pretty much the same age as our children. And what the video shows is that we were playing a game of charades. What the children were doing was deciding on a Bible story, and then we were, each family was acting out that Bible story, and the other one was trying to guess what was going on. Now, by the soundtrack on that video, all that was going on was raucous laughter. And actually, when I watched it, It just became contagious, and I couldn't help laughing as well. And there was something about that scene on that Christmas Eve which sort of says, that's a perfect Christmas event. 
If John Lewis wants any more advertising material for their teleadverts, it's available. They were such a tight-knit family. They were such a tight-knit family that they even homeschooled their kids. So when they eventually returned to America from whence they had come, we were heartbroken. We missed them very much. But not as much as the heartbreak that we learned a little while later when we heard that that family had split up, had broken up. Those children who were laughing so much on that video were no longer seeing their father who they were laughing with. A perfect relationship had become a broken relationship. And as I look back on that Christmas Eve video, it breaks my heart to think of what has happened. And I think that's something of how God feels when he looks back on the Garden of Eden. He looks back on that time of a perfect relationship with Adam and Eve. It was a pure, perfect, united scene. But that perfect, lovely scene was broken by our sin. It wasn't God's fault that man chose to go on a different path, but that path caused separation. It caused separation because our nature and God's nature became irreconcilable. It wasn't that God was trying to be nasty or vindictive, just that he and we became so different. Paul tells us in 1 Timothy 6 that God dwells in unapproachable light. I want you this morning, with a little bit of poetic license, to imagine that you're in a spaceship and your destination is the sun. I wonder what you think would happen during your journey. Probably two things. First, you start to get rather hot. And then at some point, yes, poof. You'd be consumed, you'd be burned up, you'd go. And that's, in a sense, a picture of what would have happened if God hadn't banished us from his presence. His holiness and his righteousness would simply have consumed us as the sun would consume your spaceship. We get this picture of God as a consuming fire as we go through the Old Testament. It's there in Deuteronomy chapter 4. We read it again in Isaiah 30. And then even into Hebrews chapter 12 in the New Testament, we get the same picture. God is a consuming fire. Hebrews tells us it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So that's the situation in the time of Isaiah. Separation. Man and God. God holy, unapproachable, omnipotent, man separated by an unbridgeable chasm. And then something amazing happens. And that's what we read this morning in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. God announces the first step of reconciliation, of coming back together again. The first glimpse of a dawn of a new relationship, the beginning of a way back. And here it is, the announcement of Emmanuel. 
It's the heralding of a change that's so fundamental that as Isaiah spoke those words, the, the listeners would have had no idea what he was talking about. Emmanuel. Now I need to introduce you to theophany. It's the concept of using the word of a, the, the name of God in a, in a name. In the autumn series, we've been looking at the names of God. We know about Yahweh, Yah, Y-H-A, or in English, I-H-A, used in a, in a lot of biblical names. You get Jeremiah, Obadiah, Zephaniah, Isaiah, the name of God there in the name. And the same with El, E-L, the name of God. And we get that, Daniel, Ezekiel, Joel, and here we have Emmanuel. And when we look at the name Emmanuel, there's the L, God at the end, but the first bit means with us, God with us. So what does this prophecy of Emmanuel in Isaiah 7 actually mean? Well, if we take it at face value, what we will see is that King Ahaz was king of Judah. And all the nations surrounding him were ganging up against Judah. And they were terrified. They thought the end had come. And this prophecy into their situation was to say that a son would be born. And before that son had grown up to know right and wrong, Ahaz's enemies would have been defeated. And that's what happened. End of the prophecy? No, because then we go to the New Testament and Mark tells us this prophecy has another meaning as well. The angel comes to visit Joseph and he announces that Mary's pregnancy is a fulfillment of this prophecy in Isaiah. Jesus, the Saviour, was coming to save his people. So back in Isaiah 7, what we have, the promise of Emmanuel, in a sense, points forward. It's a taster. I don't know if you do what I do when you get a fruit yogurt and you take the lid off. Do you do it? Do you lick the lid? Yeah, you do, don't you? It's hard not to. You know, it's sitting there. It's only a little bit, but you can't resist it. But imagine if once you'd done that, somebody else came and took your pot of yogurt away. And you never had the rest. You'd feel pretty disappointed. Annoyed even. The anticipation has been built up. You've had a taster which whets your appetite. But where's the real thing? And Emmanuel is that taster. It's the pointing. It says there's something coming. This is what it is. And Emmanuel and Christmas is not the thing. The thing is, the saviour of the world is being born. Jesus coming as a baby. Lots of babies are born. And we celebrate the birth of lots and lots of children. Why is this one so special? It's because uniquely this baby is God becoming man. You see, this great gulf that separates God and man... As a result of our sin, there's only one way that restoration and reconciliation can come about. And it comes about through a divine exchange. 
God comes and takes our nature. Flesh and blood, we're human. God comes and takes our nature. And what happens is, in return, we take his nature. God comes to us and becomes one of us. And here is the astounding, remarkable, unbelievable fact. Listen to this. In Emmanuel, God changes his nature forever. God changes forever. Have you ever thought about that? Your sin made God change his nature forever. Because before Emmanuel, God was God. He was spirit, untouched, untainted by man's corruption. After Emmanuel, God is both God and man. See, God wasn't playing charades. He wasn't acting a role and then going back to himself. You know, I'm no longer in the role. I'm back as me. It isn't like that. God changed. He didn't take on the form of a man and then take it off again. Emmanuel, God with us, God changed. The hands of God are now hands of flesh with a nail mark in them. Stained with real blood, Jesus held out his hand to Thomas and said, See, touch, I have hands of flesh and blood. Sin has caused God to change, to be both immortal and mortal. Sin has caused God not only to live but to die and to rise again. And our sin has meant that God has become sin for us that he might swap his nature with our nature. So the sin that would have consumed us, instead it consumed him. The death that we would die, he died. He became our substitute. He was the one condemned for our crime. And just as God's nature has been changed forever, so our nature has been changed forever too. I've got a photograph at home of two of my granddaughters when they were both aged four. Different families, children same age. Both aged four, both about to go to school for the first time. Both in their respective school uniforms. Very excited. The funny thing is that as they stand together in this photograph, the granddaughter from Portsmouth is wearing the school uniform of French Infant School. And the granddaughter from Downend is wearing the uniform of St Jude's School in Portsmouth. They've swapped uniforms. They've swapped natures. They are living in each other's clothes. They thought it was a laugh. I thought it was a great photo. But that's what Emmanuel does with us. He's taken our form, our mortal life, our punishment for sin and death, and he's exchanged it. And what we have got in, in, in return is a free pardon. We've got a free gift of his righteousness in us by the Holy Spirit. And therefore, we are no longer a different nature from God. We are reconciled with God. We now have the same nature. Emmanuel, by his spirit, is with us, lives in us. We become immortal. 
which is why the hymn writer says, one with himself, I cannot die. What an exchange, what a course of celebration. It's no wonder that we stop and celebrate Christmas, Emmanuel with us. And that's the way around it is, it's God with us. If you turn it round, it doesn't work. Us with God. We cannot go to him, he can only come to us. Us with God is when we try to please him in our own strength. Us with God is about us trying to negotiate with him an acceptable way of us going to him. Us with God says, maybe if I'm good enough, he'll let me into heaven. Us with God is wishful thinking. Because the elephant in the room is that when we go to God, our sin has not been dealt with. Only God can do that. That's Emmanuel coming to us, God with us, sorting out our problem, doing what only he could do, changing places with us. So what does Emmanuel mean to us here today? Emmanuel is, if you like, an engagement ring, a promise of something to come. It's an engagement ring which is carved out of the wood of the cross. But it's an engagement ring which God offers to us and says, will you be mine? As with any proposal of marriage, you can't answer for the other person. But God asks us, will you be mine? Will you be reconciled to me through the blood of Jesus? He wants us to say yes. He wants us to accept his love, his sacrifice, and therefore that exchange can take place. He will bear our sin. We will inherit his eternal life. Well, I hope you have a great Christmas. Christmas is great, but it's only licking the lid. Christmas points to something else. It's not the real thing. The real thing comes when we accept the gift and say, yes, Lord, I accept your offer of reconciliation. I turn from my sin and I take Christ into my heart. I no longer want to live myself, but for him. Lord, I accept your new life. As we think of that Christmas Eve, when the angels appear to the shepherds, praising God in the highest, Have you ever wondered what they were rejoicing about? Were they rejoicing that the eternal God was going to sweat great drops of blood in Gethsemane? Were they rejoicing that he was going to be given a crown of thorns? Were they rejoicing that he was going to be nailed to the cross of Calvary? In my work life, I used to be involved in doing deals, negotiating things, corporate deals and what you what you would do in any deal is you'd look and you'd say is this a fair exchange of cost and benefit for both sides is this something which is equally weighted and fair and when you look at what God has given for us and what we have to give in exchange you have to say it's a totally unfair transaction God has given us everything he changed his nature 
he became sin for us. And what have we got in return? Grace, freedom, forgiveness, pardon, eternal life, reconciliation, eternal joy. The angels were not celebrating that Christ would be the Lamb of God slain on the cross. What they were rejoicing in was the coming of our salvation. And that's what for Christmas we celebrate today, our great salvation. That's what Emmanuel means. It points, it isn't the real event, Christmas, but it points to the coming of our salvation. So let's take of the pot of yogurt, not just the lick of Christmas, and let's make that something which dwells in our hearts, not only this Christmas, but every day of our lives. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the enormity of the love that you have shown in Emmanuel. Thank you for your willingness to sacrifice everything and change your nature for us. Lord, we want to accept this morning your proposal. You offer us that free gift of life and Lord, we want to say yes. And we want to celebrate it and rejoice in it. And we want our Christmas to be full of the joy of that salvation. And we want our lives to overflow with that generosity which you have shown to us. Lord, we love you because you have first loved us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.